Well, it is good to be with you this evening. Thank you for the invitation. And uh, would you open your Bibles at Luke chapter 11, if you have them? Luke chapter 11, and I want to look at verse 37 to verse 54 with you. Just by way of explanation, why I come to you with this passage? Uh, in Dunfermline just now, we're going through a series in the Gospel of Luke where we're looking at the different people that Jesus meets. And today we're looking at Jesus meeting hypocrites and legalists. So that's what this passage is about. We'll uh, get into that. The issue is that people who are supposed to be good, people who are supposed to be holy, are often just putting on a show. They're not doing the right thing. They're doing the wrong thing. And they're hiding behind what they're supposed to be doing. Because I'm a bit of an anorak, I was watching a video of tractors getting repaired. What's tractors getting repaired got to do with your service tonight? Nothing really, but the man who was repairing the tractor said the part that he was repairing was dirtier than a priest's browsing history. Dirtier than a priest's browsing history. I don't need to explain it. What that person was saying was that priests are looking at things on the internet that they shouldn't. Priests are looking at things that nobody should look at. And just in case you think this is a little bit of an unfair attack on a priest, I think the guy that was speaking would have said Presbyterian pastor if he knew we existed. People who are supposed to be holy and doing the right thing are hiding away and doing the wrong thing. And they're just trying to present this picture of perfection. Do we still do it in the church? Is St. Peter's Free Church a church full of hypocrites and legalists? Yes. Because it's full of humans and we keep getting things wrong. But what we want to do is see what Jesus says first of all tonight. I'm just going to give an overview, not get too technical about the different things Jesus says. Then I want, because we are a church of hypocrites and legalists, to see how the good news of Jesus Christ helps us with this massive problem that we have. And then, what do we do when we recognize this issue? How do we solve it? And then, because in Dunfermline we have a Bible verse for the year from 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did, I want to try and figure out very briefly how Jesus avoided the problem of hypocrisy and legalism in his own life. So first of all, what does Jesus say? What's the story here? We've got Jesus invited to a Pharisee's house. I think by this stage in his ministry, it's like Boris getting invited to Nicholas' house. The dinner isn't going to go that nicely. There's going to be tension. There's going to be disagreements. And they know that, but Still, they went. And the disagreement came because Jesus didn't wash his hands. Now, it wasn't the days of COVID. He didn't have to do it properly or anything like that. It's that it was a religious ritual. It would be a little bit like if you had a mat at the door there and it was a habit and religious ritual of all the people that came to St. Peter's to wipe their feet three times or they didn't get in. It was that sort of extra law that wasn't written in the Bible that these people were following. And Jesus didn't follow it. So the Pharisee goes, eh, you're not washing your hands. What's wrong with you? And so what happens is Jesus 
makes an observation of the general problem that gives us insight at least into the first three woes and then it kind of continues into the next three woes that are given to the experts of the law from verse 46. But what's Jesus' observation? You Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You put on a show, you make sure everything looks pretty, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. And they start, he starts to tell them that God made the outside, God made the inside. What's, what's the general problem? Well, it's a spiritual problem. They're looking good on the outside, but also it's a practical problem. If you open commentaries on this passage, I said I wasn't going to go too deep, but not everybody says this is only about an internal problem. Jesus is actually using the cup and the dish and saying, you're not feeding people, and that's what they really need. You're not being practical with your Christianity. And I think from looking at it, there's a bit of both here. The general problem is inside, because of what's wrong with their inside, they're not doing the right thing. They're not feeding the people. They're not giving people what they want. And if you look at Luke's gospel, as we've been doing in Dunfermline, you've perhaps done it here before too. I don't know how often you've tried to count out what, how many times Jesus speaks about money, how Jesus speaks about helping people, giving up your money, don't love money, follow me, leave your money behind. And the parable of the Good Samaritan, it's about priests and Levites not wanting to give, make themselves dirty or, or have to spend their money. And then this Samaritan comes and he spends his money and he, he looks after people. There's this general use your money for good idea in the Gospel of Luke. And so what happens is Jesus says these things, outside you look clean, you look good, inside you're dirty. And then he says these woe statements. Now when you hear the word woe, woe, don't know if children have a clue what the word woe means, you think it maybe means stop to a horse or to somebody stop crossing the road or something. But woe is a word of warning, but it's also got this idea of regret. Another word that children probably don't hear is alas, a bit of a but. So alas to you Pharisees, you're not listening. So, so they've missed the mark and Jesus starts telling them the different ways they've done it. So the first woe is verse 42 you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. I think Jesus might have a smile on his face here. He might be taking the mickey a little bit, saying, pointing out to them just how ridiculous the idea is. Outside our house, we've got a wee tub, an old whiskey barrel, and in it is where for years we have grown parsley. I don't know how much parsley we've grown. I've never weighed it. But let me guess that if, some of you are going to think I'm an idiot here, but if we've grown 50 grams of parsley a year, I'll be surprised. And you can imagine me taking that to the digital scales and getting the scissors and cutting up. If I've got 50 grams, there's, there's five grams. Five grams, that's a tithe, that's a tenth. Let's put that aside for the poor people. And then let's get the coriander. I wish we grew coriander because it's nice, but it'd be good and we'd only have a little bit less of that. And then the kind of idea is that these, these religious leaders would, would give away this, this religiously, this, this little bit, but they wouldn't give themselves. They wouldn't give anything generously. It's kind of like 
if you want to take the story of the Good Samaritan a little bit further, uh, just add to it and don't take this as Scripture, but just this general idea that the priest walks over to the other side instead of ignoring the man and he takes out five grams of parsley and he says to the poor man, this is what you need. This is what you need. This is what God has obliged that I should give, a tenth. And it's not what he needs. It's, it's ridiculous. But that's not the story. But the idea that, that you give, I mean, when you hear these words, I guess some of you are already there, but when Jesus says you neglect justice and the love of God, do you know any texts about justice and the love of God? Well, I bet you the Pharisees did. I bet you they knew straight away, Micah, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. It wasn't a surprise to them. And they put on this show of tithing. The next woe is very simple. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. You love to sit. I know he didn't do it for any other reason than it was easiest, but if he just sat there every time and said, look at me, this is my important seat. It's easier than going up and down. We'll acknowledge that, okay? But these priests, these, these guys, they loved the way that people spoke to them. I used to have a man in the village that I lived in that whenever he saw me, he would say, hello, minister, as if I didn't have a first name. But some people would just love that, that, that they were acknowledged for their place. These guys were like that and will come to a solution to it. And then the third woe, woe to you because you're like unmarked graves which men walk over without knowing it. What on earth is that all about? Well, if you walked in a grave, you would become unclean for seven days. So what they did was they put lime on the graves so that you didn't walk on them. But if you walked in them and became unclean, then you wouldn't be able to go to worship. So what Jesus is saying is, you Pharisees, you're like unmarked graves. People accidentally come to you not knowing what you're really like. And you don't make them pure. You don't make them good. You make them unfit. You're not good for the people that are around you. It's a horrible thing to be. Well, that was enough. Hey, stop talking about our friends like that, say the teachers of the law. You're insulting us because you're insulting our friends. Well, they probably should have just kept quiet, but they didn't. And Jesus responds by telling them what legalism is like. Legalism, the way they behave, is the experts of the law. You load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. You give them too much to do. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help. See, we start to see that the priests, the Pharisees, all of these people's role is not just to just to tell people what to do, but to, to help them. But they made the burden greater. They, they added to the law of God. It doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but things like Sabbath laws, you weren't allowed to carry certain loads with your hands. So they devised a way where you could carry it with your mouth. You weren't allowed to go a journey much further than your village boundary or so far from your home on a Sabbath. So they extended the boundary of their home so they could go further. Just lots of silly little things that added to the law and made it harder for the people to know what they should do. That's what they kept on doing, things like that. 
And then when we get to the prophets, there's a lot of detail in here, but what's the problem? The problem is they're honoring the prophets, they're saying great things about the prophets, but they're still not listening really. They're not listening to the people God sends to them, they're ignoring what they say, and they're determined to be just like their fathers, just like the people before them who put God's prophets to the test, to, to death, sorry, who persecuted them. Well, this is prophesied here by Jesus Christ, and you see what immediately happens in verse 53. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. It starts already, but they're just not listening. They're not listening to God's prophets. They, they are determined to persecute. So that's a, a show. That's hypocrisy to be up there honoring them and then down there ignoring them. And then the last one, woe to you experts in the law, verse 52, because you've taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you've hindered those who were entering. So what are they doing? They're saying, we are the only ones who know. We are the ones who know, and you won't know how to get to God unless you listen to us. So they've taken away the key to knowledge. How people might know is much simpler than that. And they themselves, well, they've not come to God. They've not trusted in God. They're just hindering people who are wanting to put their trust in God. They're making it more difficult you won't remember before the Reformation, but you might remember about before the Reformation that most of the priests spoke in Latin, and the people couldn't read the Bible. The Scriptures were available in these languages, but not in French or German or in English, not so widely available anyway. So when the church leaders spoke, the people couldn't really question what it said because they couldn't understand it. And then when it did start to happen, that they got the Word of God in their own language, people knew what it said, and they came straight to God as the Word instructed them to. That's the kind of thing that's going on here. These people are just obstacles because they're not telling people what the Bible says, they're not showing them, and they're asking them to do different things. Well, they heard it. It drove them mad. They were angry they wanted to kill Jesus. But when Jesus sees hypocrisy, and when we recognize hypocrisy in ourselves, what do we do? And what I want to do now is show you how the good news of Jesus, hopefully show you how the good news of Jesus just is the perfect antidote for a hypocrite like you and a legalist like me or the other way around the good news of Jesus. What happens when you're putting on a show? Who here tonight is putting on a show? You don't want anybody to know what you've been doing. You don't want anyone to find out. You look good. You've come to church. Nobody knows. Well, the good news of Jesus Christ is not that nobody knows. The good news of Jesus Christ is that He knows. He knows what we are like. He knows what we've done. He knows how bad we are. He knows how we have pretended. And the good news of Jesus Christ is that He can forgive it. Psalm 51, David 
It's not a New Testament idea only, but David, as he recognizes his own sin, as he recognizes the wrong things he'd done, he knows God's seen it. He knows that he's like this all the way through. Psalm 139, every thought we've had, God knew it before we had it. It's no secret. And the stupidest thing to do before God is to pretend that you're okay, to pretend that you're good when you're not good. The most sensible thing for you to do is to say sorry and ask God to clean you. That's the best way for you to deal with the things you've been pretending about. Don't keep on doing it, but ask God to forgive you, to make you new. That's what the hypocrites should have done when Jesus spoke to them, but they didn't. What about when you realize that you are giving God a tenth, a little, but you neglect justice and the love of God? What happens when you aren't giving God enough? Because you haven't understood what God is like. That's the problem. Why would I give God a tenth? Tenth is a lot, isn't it? Tenth is too much, some of you think. But why would you give God anything? Because God has given you his son, Jesus Christ. Listen to me quote some scriptures badly. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have a tenth of eternal life. The life I live, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave a tenth of himself for me. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet he became poor so that you through his poverty might become 10% better off. No, God has not given you 10%. God has not given you a little bit. God has given you his son, Jesus Christ. God has given you all that you need for eternal life. God has given you eternal life. God has given you a place in his heavenly city where nothing will ever perish or spoil or fade and you will have no want whatsoever. And so when you realize what he has given you, in Jesus Christ. God doesn't deserve a tenth, does he? God deserves everything. And so that is how you respond. What about when your own pride is pointed out to you? Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Just telling you, if Andy Pearson's your minister, you're going to need to get this floor creak fixed. Just telling you that. Maybe he's lighter, of course. But what about this idea of pride? Proud Jesus. Proud Jesus didn't do anything for anybody. Proud Jesus never gave himself for a poor man. No. Paul tells us that each of us should have the attitude of Christ Jesus. Same attitude who being in very nature God did not e consider equality with God something to be grasped, but came low, 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 all the way, obedient, a human, obedient, and obedient to death. He served us by giving himself for us. And when we think people aren't recognizing me, well, people aren't recognizing him either. But poor Jesus 
just left, forgotten. No, that's not how Paul tells us God finished with Jesus. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you want people to recognize you? Wouldn't it be nice if one day there's a Jeremy Ross building somewhere? I'm joking, just in case you want. You need to get used to me. Well, you probably don't. It's better if you don't. What would happen if there was? One day it would get knocked down. It would be destroyed. It's gone. But the place that God has for his people is not a place that's going to be destroyed. It's not a recognition that is passing. It is a reward from him. So we can put pride to the side. What's the next one? The experts of the law, they're like unmarked graves. And it kind of joins into the next one too because of the legalists who give people a a burden to carry. See, what the problem is is that people are coming to the religious leaders and they're just getting confused. They're getting confused. They're not getting pointed the way to God. They're getting told, actually, if you want to become a Christian, you probably need to cut your hair. You maybe need to to get a piercing or get rid of a piercing. You maybe need to walk differently. You've got to do all sorts of things to, to be accepted by God is what they're saying. And so they're an obstacle that are just giving an extra burden to people. I was pleased during the prayer to hear the words quoted from Matthew where Jesus says, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. See, if anybody, just listen, if anybody is putting you off coming to Jesus, if anybody is confusing you too much about what it means to be a Christian or anything like that, well, maybe... Maybe you need to listen sometimes if it's with good intention. But you can also bypass them, okay? And you can go straight to Jesus. You can go straight to Jesus and you can say, Jesus, will you hear me? Jesus, will you forgive me my sins? Jesus, will you help me to live for you? Because your yoke is easy. The burden you give us is easy for us to carry. You go straight to Jesus. You don't need people to confuse you. I'm not saying you don't need preachers or anything like that, but you don't need people to confuse you and keep you back. You can go straight to Jesus. And that's what you should do. If you haven't done it, it's great to speak to new people because I don't know how many of you have been following Jesus for a long time or if you're still thinking, should I follow Jesus or how do I follow Jesus? Here's how you do it. You go straight to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you forgive me my sins? Jesus, can I rest in you? Can I trust you to do it all for me? And you can. What about not listening to the prophets? I was pleased next to hear us sing Psalm 2 because Psalm 2 gives a warning about not listening to God's prophet, God's son the royal one who came. And there we're told, instead of not listening, instead of ignoring and rejecting, kiss the son, lest in his anger you perish from his way. And if we don't go to Jesus and trust him, if we don't listen to the words that the prophets say, then what's going to happen to us? 
is that we will face the wrath. See, these people were told, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. If we don't listen to the prophets, if we don't hear God's word, and if we don't hear it especially in Jesus, we'll be punished for that. Then the last one, woe to you experts in the law because you've taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who are entering. People that say we have the key. It's only, it's only if you come to us that, that you'll find out how to become a Christian. It's only if you come to us you'll be able to live the religious life properly. That's what we sometimes sound like we're saying. How do you you identify as a Christian. What language do you use? I'm a Christian. I'm a born-again Christian. I'm an evangelical. I'm a reformed Christian. I'm a Baptist. I'm a charismatic. I'm an Anglican. I'm a something. And then we start to say, well, to be a proper Christian, you've got to do it our way sometimes. We have the key. We have the secret. Is kind of what we're on the verge of saying. But we're not. Because we know that it's the Scriptures themselves that tell us what we need to do. And we know that whether we're Baptists or Charismatics or Presbyterians, if our trust is in Jesus Christ, it's not because of the particular method. It's because that all of this, as Second Peter, Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 tells us, all of it is useful, is useful to bring us to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. So you have it. Do you know how to become a Christian? Anybody wondering how to become a Christian, where to go, where to look? You have it here. All of this, somebody might help you understand it better, but all of this in the Bible is what you need. I'm on to my third point, and I'm going to go much quicker just in case you think you're never going to get home. What do you do when you recognize hypocrisy in yourself? And please don't say you've never recognized it because that means you've not really looked in a mirror very well. We all carry a bit of it around with us. What are we pretending about? What do we not want people to know? And what are we saying is okay when it's not okay? Well, look for it. Look for it in your own life. And the best thing to do, although it's often the hardest thing to do, is to stop. Why do you do hypocritical or legalistic things? You often say it's because you're worried of what other people think and you don't want to upset them. But really, you don't want to upset yourself. You've put yourself before God and made yourself more important because you're telling a lie, you're acting instead of doing what God wants. And the best thing to do, when we recognize our sin, what's the best thing to do? Greg, who... Andy prayed for an American co-worker with me and from, and he's very good at saying, stop it, stop it. And when you know something's bad, stop it. Just stop it and say sorry to God. And if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Stop it, tell God you're sorry and do the right thing. The second thing I want us to recognize as we see hypocrisy is to recognize that hypocrisy often comes in communities and legalism the same. See, Jesus just hasn't met one random 
guy who he's calling a Pharisee. There's lots of them around, and there's experts in the law, and there's many of them around. It happens in community. We, we, we start doing what each other do, and we say it's acceptable. You know, was there a time when the Pharisees, this whole Pharisaical movement could have been stopped if Billy just said, hey guys, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Scripture says. We're just doing this because it makes us feel good. And everything could have been better. And it could be like that in our own church life that somebody needs to say, stop it. In our house, the boys don't swear at their mum. I've never had to say, boys, don't swear at your mum. But if I swore at their mum, they would know I'm a hypocrite. They would know I was doing wrong. If I say to the boys, boys, don't leave your clothes on the bedroom floor for two days. They don't walk to the wash basket on their own. Do you know what they would know? I'm a bit of a hypocrite. Sometimes my clothes could walk to the basket on their own. They're like that. But I'm not doing what I should. I'm doing the wrong thing. And I've made it acceptable to do the wrong thing. But we know what the right thing is. Just do the right thing. And in churches, we know what the right thing is. We absolutely know what God wants from us. Where are we hypocrites? Where are we actors? Where have we said to each other, it's okay to be like this? Well, it's not just here. It's in every church in Western Europe, I think. We've said it's okay to give God a little. We've said God gets a little bit of time, a little bit of money, a little bit of effort, a little bit of everything. And it's okay. Part of the reason that some people aren't coming back to church is because we've said it's okay to give God a little. And they've got used to giving God very little, and it's got comfortable. We've said it's okay. And we've lived like it's okay. Leaders as well as everyone else. Is that fair? If it's unfair, I'm sorry. You're maybe better than lots of other people I know. But we've said it's okay. And that will be holding people back from becoming Christians. That will be holding us back from telling them. Because we only give God a little. And we pretend that he's got everything. So that's the challenge, I think. The last thing, very briefly, how can we do this like Jesus? How did Jesus Christ avoid hypocrisy and legalism? The easy answer is because he's perfect and he wasn't going to do it. But there's also another simple observation. Who did he love? He loved the Father. He loved God. He loved God perfectly. Who did he love? He loved you and me enough to die for us and to come back for us. Who does the hypocrite love? Who does the teacher of the law love? They love themselves. And whenever we love ourselves more than we love God, whenever we love ourselves more than we love others, it's going to turn into us doing things that are convenient for us. 
That's where hypocrisy and legalism comes in. So the call to you, I think the easiest way for you to fight hypocrisy and legalism in this week is to love God, to put all your effort into loving God and into loving each other and those in our community. That's how we can fight against it the best way, I think. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that hypocrites and legalists, uh, Lord, people who are putting on a show, we know that if everybody knew everything we'd ever done, we'd be ashamed. But you do, Lord, you know, and you've seen it all, and yet you will forgive us. You'll make us clean as if we never did it, and we'll be given everything from you. So, Lord, help us not to put on a show and to pretend, but help us to give everything to the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me, to the one who has made me rich and given eternal life. We pray that all of us would want to respond by giving you all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.